and welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valley Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, we're excited to bring to you this week um, our first guest in the uh, series or topic that we brought up last week. Um, I am excited to introduce to you my friend Justin Luton. Uh, Justin and I met when we were both um, members of the Colorado Ag Leadership Program Class 13, um, which you've heard me talk about a little bit before, but um, we got to spend two years traipsing around Colorado agriculture and learning about policy and uh, issues and, and um, leadership in agriculture, both um, for Colorado and on a national level. So um, we're excited to have him here. He's going to be able to speak to uh, what we brought up last week and um, before we get too much further, I'll go ahead and let Justin introduce himself. Hey guys, thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. And Catherine and I are pretty good friends and, and we have lots of discussions, we'll say, and we don't always agree, but it's always good to talk to somebody that you don't necessarily agree with at times. Um, I guess for my introduction, I am a fourth generation uh, dryland farmer in northeastern Colorado. Uh, we're northeast of Denver, 35 miles. We're fairly large at 32,000 acres, but most proud of the fact that we are over 100 years old now as of last year. Me personally, I am a Purdue graduate from 2016, uh, and as Catherine said, I Awesome. Thank you for that introduction, Justin. And that rolls right into what we wanted to talk about this week. Last week, we talked about um, agriculture's fear, hesitance to really take a hard stand on issues that affect us directly. Um, and you and I were actually discussing that last week. And I thought, hey, <laughs> Justin's on a board and he's a millennial. He ought, to, he ought to come on the show. So while we were talking about that, you said something that really struck me. Um, and I thought you put it into perfect words. You said, ag is losing its voice at every turn, and one of the biggest reasons why is because we are silencing ourselves for fear of retribution. And that is the most bluntly I've heard it put, but I think that that really lays it out and, and says, says in precise words what we're getting at here. So what made you say that? Well, it's just what we see every day. Um, look at the farm bill. Sure, it's farm bill in the name, but when over 70% of the funding does not go to farms, um, you would think farmers would be standing up and have a bigger voice than that. You look at machinery prices, a uh, new John Deere sprayer uh, with Xactify and most of the bells and whistles is closing in on $700,000 list price. So retail price, you're still close to 550,000. Um, chemical prices, we don't have any say in that. And that's a huge point of contention with me on the board I'm on currently. Um, you look at grain markets and such, we don't have a say in that. Um, for example, I'll give you a current example with what we're dealing with at the, at the local level and at the national level when it comes to wheat. 
if you have a grain train coming in hauling wheat to the port of Houston versus corn to the port of Houston, wheat is being upcharged 30% over corn. Now, some of that obviously is because you've got a little bit extra weight, 60 pounds versus 56, but that's nowhere near the 30%. The real reason why it happens is because they can. There is no, where wheat is grown, there are no river systems to take grain to the ports. Compared to corn, you've got the Mississippi, which is a massive advantage for the United States in general. Ocean or water freight on barges is extremely advantageous and cheap compared to anything else. But where we have to put it on rail or haul it by truck, we simply don't have any other options. And so that's some of those things that we face. But the problem is who wants to fight the railroads? and who has the ability to fight the railroads. Um, to their credit, NOG, and, or not NOG, excuse me, U.S. Weed is trying to make that stand right now, and they are handle the exports. The fact of the matter is, is that's where, where it's at. There's no competition, and it's tough for anybody to stand up to them. Um, it's tough for our senators and representatives to stand up to them, and a lot of that comes from the fact that it, it's tough for someone in that position to stand up to some uh, a position of that type of power if you're uncertain of how much support you're going to have behind it and how much impact it could have down the line. If we were able to get rail cars to come back down to even the same as corn, what happens to the oil rail cars or anything along those lines of any other freight and how does that impact and they definitely will have the oil industry for example definitely have more money to to fight back if their rates went up and so it's kind of a give take and it's tough there is a lot of balance in it but the fear is that if i make a stand i will make them mad and they can drop the hammer on me and I don't have anywhere else to turn. So how do we, Justin, we have these issues with these bigger companies or what we feel like are bigger companies um, than, than the wheat growers, than, you know, the corn growers, even the beef producers, you know, we, we fight with the packers, it seems like on the beef side of things, but we don't have the courage to stand up or have those conversations um, up front and, and, how how do we start changing instead of sitting back and saying, well, the prices aren't very good, the packers are doing this, the railroad's doing this. How do we start making that change happen? Because this is go going to be an ongoing problem for if we want to keep, like, say, your farm in the family for the next hundred years and you're struggling with this now, it's going to become a bigger issue in the in the future, it sounds like. How do we start having these conversations with the rail? Or do we to start finding alternative ways, maybe building a plant near us or getting some other innovation in there so that we can keep farming for another hundred years? How do we move past this, this problem, I guess? And I guess is it because we've been sitting on our hands and just staying neutral or is it because there's a huge problem out there? Well, I want... I want to make something very clear, though. I am, I am in no way saying 
that these companies are the the boogeyman in the room type deal. I am you will not find more of a capitalist than me. And the fact that they are able to scale their operations to take advantage of of every efficiency possible and such and create the power that they have, that is absolutely a hundred percent how everybody should be trying to handle things. Now what and Catherine's heard me say this before have one of my go-to lines. Agriculture is one of the largest industries in the world, especially in this nation. But we act as though every operation is its own industry, which is true to an extent. We are very independent. We are able to make our own choices. Um, in, in the grain side, it's all, you know, you choose your rotations, your equipment, how you're going to manage your operation, your marketing, everything. But what that has created as well is a division in that we don't have a, a singular voice. We don't have a united voice. Look at the Beyond Meat type deal. There were some guys that I know that were not happy with Beyond Meat for obvious reasons, but they were also unhappy for the guys that were growing yellow peas, which are the main protein source in peas. I was trying to grow, I am trying to grow yellow peas in this area, but it's not because I dislike beef, it's because I'm trying to help my operation in both in soil health and economics and try and create a more balanced rotation. Um, but there's these, there's perceptions that we have, we are against each other at different times, when in reality we're all working towards the same goal and that's staying in business and so if we could have a singular voice or a concentrated voice and stop chasing after the carrot that they toss out there while they go and pick up the bushel of carrots we can be a lot more effective in our conversations so what do you so, to be more direct with it uh, to, to your answer we need to figure out at a personal level first how we can get along with our neighbor and how we can re reconcile differences and come up with a common goal and then go from there to our uh, our small our smaller associations and they have to reconcile for example why do we have colorado associate association of wheat growers and colorado corn growers and colorado cattlemen's and all of that why don't we have Colorado Farmers and Ranchers Association where we can where the boards of each of all of those can come together the executive members of those boards can come together as one singular voice and we hash things out and then we take that to our politicians. So that's a question that we've asked for years Justin and I you and I've debated debated that we've talked me and Val have you know we we talk about that all the time. Why don't we have that voice? Why don't we have that kind of an organization? Well, um, to be honest, it's, it's not my idea. My dad proposed this when he was part of Wheat Growers 20 or 30 years ago. And the problem was the first question that was asked was, well, who's going to run it? And so immediately we started chasing the carrot that was tossed aside instead of going after the, after the bushel of carrots. Instead of seeing the bigger picture of what we could accomplish as, as a whole, there was immediately a division of, well, I don't want somebody else to have power over me. 
I don't want those cattlemen to have power over corn growers or vice versa. It's, it's kind of that same thing all over again. And it's, it's how do we reconcile those differences to start with. And this, the competition and the egos of agriculture really show when everybody gets in the room because we're, we feel like we're competing in the marketplace, you know, the beyond burger and the regular protein burger. We feel like we're competing. Whereas we're all trying to feed the world and keep our operation going and they're still agriculture and it's still farming, farming the land, or it's the same thing with dairy farmers and oat farmers now, or almond farmers and the almond beverage. And that's, it's hard, it's hard to look what we feel like a competitor in the eye and come to similar agreements. And I, and I think that, and I might be making a very bold statement when I say this, but I, I think farm bureaus approach or thought is kind of trying to bring everybody together, but sometimes they have the big policy and the farm bill and those big things in place. But when it comes to little tiny, little tiny in air quotes, um, perspectives, it's hard for them to take a stance because it could have an implication on another industry that they're also representing. So, you know, like dairy and almond or, you know, you know, things like that. And I wonder if, if sometimes farm bureaus do it too. There isn't the interaction with farm bureau between different associations. Um, I don't think in my two years of being on COG, I don't think Farm Bureau has ever wanted to be at a meeting or anything along those lines. And some of our members are Farm Bureau members and such, but there isn't the interaction there. And so there's not a voice there. Um, it's not just the little things, it's, it's very large things. I mean, at least in my perspective, the state of Colorado doesn't have a very much of a voice when it comes to agriculture. We get drowned out by the front range and such. And that's very tough for, um, for that. How do I want to phrase that? It's very tough for our politicians to balance that when they're concerned about reelection. How's that? <laughs> when the, popu the population speaks, the population votes, the yep. population yep. has this, yep has more seats at the table and that's the way our system um but that starts drowning out agriculture absolutely and so the problem and so it circles back to okay when it's tough for somebody to make a stand because of a small association saying well some they could easily turn on us and and point us out and we get hammered by it um even at in the state legislation or anything like that it's how much do we how much are we able to speak up on things because is it better to try and negotiate and hope it's in good faith or is it better to fight for what you believe in and those are the choices that we're left with as as board members in a lot of situations and frankly a lot of that comes to money as well um, and trying to think of the larger good but 
I'm told a lot of times that you can't make decisions in black and white. The world isn't black and white. And I absolutely understand that. It's a million shades of gray. But if you do not try to make a decision on its simplest basis, a yes or no, right or wrong, you will never be right. And you will never know where you truly stand on things. You have to break it down to its simplest form and say, do I feel right with this morally? Is this the direction that we want to be going? And then go from there. Because you will end up somewhere in the middle. You will negotiate and work with others towards the middle. But as Catherine and I have seen talking with Senator Sonnenberg and some other members, I would have discussions with them. I'm, I'll admit I'm kind of a fireball and take things to the extreme to see if it sticks. But they say, well, I used to think that same way, but I don't think that way anymore. Okay, tell me why you don't think that way anymore. Well, as you get older, you'll understand. Well, <laughs> so did your values change? Is this still, is it not a problem anymore? If it's not a problem, then tell me why it's not a problem. We're afraid to make that stand because we've created a dependency on some of these things. Um, we talk about the farm bill, we talk about CFAP or MFP and as a large farm, we get absolutely hammered with saying, well, you're just living off the government and such, which we can go into in a whole different realm at some point. But frankly, some people are just trying to live on the program because that's our only way of surviving right now because depressed grain prices or depressed cattle prices, whatever it is, depressed prices in general. Meanwhile, our cost of production continues to go up three to 7% every year just because of John Deere is going to take a three to 7% increase. And that three to 7% increase is exponentially higher now at a half million dollars than it was at a hundred thousand dollars. And so it's, as you continue down that path, you just lose leverage at each step. It's harder and harder to fight back against it. So you've, you've said, I mean, what, what you started with was, you know, the, the ag not having the voice in, in our marketing, essentially, which I, I think is the truth. We're price takers, not price makers, by and large. Um, and then you kind of rolled into, um, you know, that it's not really the culture of ag right now, but sort of the, you know, the, the feeling of just kind of go along to get along and not rock the boat too much. And it really turns into kind of a vicious cycle. And so, you know, as... As a millennial on a on an agricultural board, um, what I guess what do you do to try and make sure that the people whose interests you're supposed to be serving are are heard? And also, how do you you know how do you um, let people or how do you get people to take you seriously when they say you'll understand when you're, when you're older, acting like they like you don't understand now? Well, <laughs> that's. That's a question that you already know the answer to, but um, just because of personal interactions there. But I don't take that type of answer as gospel. I never have. Um, I don't know if a lot of it's my upbringing and how it's question everything and trying to learn. I'm always trying to learn something. Um, even if you and I disagree, I still want to come away with learning something from our conversation. The biggest thing that issue that we face as a country is we don't, nobody, 
well, I shouldn't say nobody, but very few people try to understand the other side. I'm not saying you have to understand the other side, but if you don't try to, you aren't going to be able to communicate effectively. And so I try to look at things from a very balanced approach. One of the things that I look at is, okay, we're a large farm, but at the same time, me and my brother-in-law are trying to get started farming and we have our own rented ground and some of it we share some of it i have personally i'm trying to get my foot in the door so i am a i am a small farm from that aspect i do business with some a very small dairy up by kersey um he's only got 90 head of cattle they had been up to a thousand at one point but they either decided they had to get smaller and become a niche product or they had to get much bigger and they didn't want to get bigger but he's younger than I am. And so I try and think about his perspective. I interact with people on social media and ask them if they're upset with something that Wheat Growers is doing, I send them a message, whether it's private or public. I ask them, okay, what don't you like about this? Tell me your opinions. I want to know what, I don't want to know, just know that you don't like it. I want to know why you don't like it. Okay, now you, I know why you don't like it. How about I tell you why we made this decision. And then I invite them to a board meeting. They, any board member, any member can show up to a board meeting at any time. We can have that open discussion. Um, and I make it public as well. You know, it, not all these conversations are private. If they want them to be private, they will be, but I will have public discussions with people and talk to them about it. Uh, I don't like the just Here's how it is. So I question things a lot and I push people a lot. And I frankly, I pester them until I can get an answer or until we get another meeting uh, with somebody else that has more knowledge on the situation. Because I want to know the why behind somebody's decision making, not just the decision they made. And, kind and so a, that's kind of my process. What, what kind of a reaction, by and large, do you get from that? How are people reacting to you? approaching issues or, or topics that way? For the most part, it's, it's very well received because they see somebody that is young, that is taking interest in it and wants to learn and wants to make an impact. By and large, it's very positive. There are times when there is conflict and that's a balancing act because once again, obviously I'm, I respect my elders, but I'm gonna question, that doesn't mean that I don't question as well. And so there, there, it's a balancing act there and trying to make certain people understand. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just want an answer. By and large, it's very positive, though. And I think we could really benefit if more people took a proactive approach to these discussions. And listeners, in case you didn't catch that keyword, um, that was the title of our episode last week, um, how agriculture can be proactive instead of reactive um, in approaching these issues, these issues that, that uh, affect us every single day and will affect our ability to continue to um, business to do business profitably and sustainably. So Justin, I've got, obviously I have a million questions. I always do when we're talking, but it sounds like, you know, well, no, we know, we know, I know from talking with you and I know from talking with other people on other boards and and you know other people in my networking community that um, even boards that are that have come together to support the same thing like a wheat board, corn board, dairy board, whatever, 
Um, oftentimes it seems like they silence themselves in the face of issues where they really should be taking a stand, even though you're, they're united ostensibly on one product or in one market. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that um, industry organizations take that kind of approach these days? I think a lot of it comes down to how much power they feel that they have or how much say that they have with the current political climate and such a lot of industries are on the defensive just trying to not be in a lot of ways they're not they're trying to not be in the public eye and they're trying to not be before the legislature and when something is brought up at that level um, a lot of it is viewed as how can we avoid this conflict because of the quote unquote cancel culture that we've created in this country or in this world really. Um, and I think from a lot of smaller organizations perspective, it comes down to money in a lot of ways. Of can we afford a $500 an hour attorney to fight this for three years? Or do we need to try and just, we can give up a few things to try and save some other things. And that's part of the negotiation process, but that prevents you from really taking a stand in a lot of cases. It absolutely does. Um, you know, and, and what are we willing to give up? How much? Because in, in my experience, you know, this is how I've seen ever since I've been paying attention to industry organizations and boards, it seems like this has become more of the status quo um, and that everybody is afraid to upset the apple cart and okay, well, we can give a little to get a little, but how long until um, we're only giving, not getting, and before too long, it seems like we've given everything away and we don't have anything for, for leverage or to benefit ourselves at all anymore. Well, we're very fastly approaching that point. Um, in a lot of ways and a different in a lot of different aspects but i think what would be a significant help to all um, or organizations is if they felt they had the back they had the members backing them we as board members are trying to do the best for our members but if we are uncertain of what the members want, it becomes more difficult to give them what they want. If the member said, you, you fight this new legislation tooth and nail, I don't care what it takes. If it's the death of the organization, we have to fight this. And that's what the majority says, then that's what we will do. But if the majority is among the lines of, well, you'll understand when you get older and <laughs> You have to try and work with things at times and you can't fight every battle well eventually we don't fight many battles at times or we don't fight any battles in some circumstances and so then where's your voice and where's the individual members voice what we get as association or as as board members is we need the backing of of the people we need to know what their opinions are and so we have to have frank and honest discussion is there and they have to be open. People have to be open about it. And I think they have to be vulnerable to the board members 
on their current situations. You know, it's hard to show up to some of those board meetings if you're not on the board and say, I'm struggling this year. My crop's not doing well. The cows aren't eating. The, they're not producing. And I see this struggle and I think this is an issue. But that shows that maybe my operation's not rolling full steam ahead like it should and it's not a well-oiled machine. Um, but that takes vulnerability and courage. And it also takes time away from your operation to do that. And I don't think we, how do we get farmers and ranchers to do that? Because that's not, that's not their passion. They don't sometimes even see the benefit in doing that. But how do we get those individuals to start telling us really what's going on? So people in Washington, DC, so people at the state capitals, people at the county commissioner level can truly see what's going on at the farm level. Absolutely, you nailed it on the head. It's very hard, especially those of us in ag, to be vulnerable about our positions. And Catherine and I have talked a lot about that with a, a guy that has shown up a fair amount in, on social media and in Farm Journal, uh, how he talked about how facing the end of his farm was a surreal circumstance and it's a business decision and such. That's a very, very difficult thing to face. And what's interesting is in my experience, people are more likely to tell that story to someone in the legislature or a representative instead of somebody that they know because they don't want that feeling of, well, my neighbor knows I'm struggling right now. They, it, it, not that their neighbor would, would do anything to harm them or think differently of them. In fact, they would most likely help them, but they don't want to feel as though it's a pity party. And so it's, it's really tough to be, when we are the intermediaries to those discussions, um, but they, they're not, they aren't able to be open about it. And that's something that I, I'll be honest, I struggle with trying to answer that myself. I don't know how we engage people more. I mean, obviously the go-to answer is say social media and it's all anonymous and such, but you can't be all anonymous. You got to be able to know the person to know the circumstance. Um, it's a very difficult thing to face at times. I, I'll be honest, I, I'm not certain how we, how we address that, that problem. Well, as always, the, the first step is even admitting that there is a problem. And, you know, we, we know from personal experience, Justin, we could talk for hours and hours and hours, but in the interest of time, I think for this episode, we'll start to wrap up. Um, we definitely want you back to talk more about this topic and others. Um, but before we let you go, we would like to hear uh, your take on what happened in the Midwest, especially Iowa, um, with the, the derecho winds uh, we mentioned last week at the end of our episode, but you're a grain farmer and you know a lot more about those sorts of things and have a better read on the situation. So could you give us an update on that? Yeah, so um, actually as it would happen, Dad and I were driving across Nebraska and up, into, up to Sioux Falls as that storm rolled through. Um, looking at it and talking to people there, it was, they had, it seemed as though they had a record crop coming on in a lot of areas and then mother nature did her thing and absolutely hammered some people, um, laid a lot of corn down from what I've heard. A lot of the soybeans have, have stood back up and have recovered. 
but the corn is going to stay laying down and that's going to create issues as we go. A lot of grain storage and equipment was destroyed and you combine the two and it could be uh, a pretty tough harvest for a lot of people. Um, that corn may not, um, it may not mature correctly, it may not dry down very well being laying on the ground if it gets a snow on it it's not going to shed as well and then you combine the fact that now you don't have the drying and under roof storage capacity that was in that area um, it, it could be a really tough harvest for some guys and it could create some quality issues I think that's the bigger story than the yield loss in my opinion and it's really tough for a lot of guys because you get back in the Midwest there's not a lot of on-farm storage and so when you have a terminal elevator get absolutely smoked and have four bins blown away it makes a significant impact for a lot of farmers in that region so my prayers are with them and i hope they're able to get it picked up and get it out in a timely manner and have have the quality there well thank you justin for that update and we're we're sending our prayers and thoughts to the midwest because anytime anybody in agriculture gets hit there's ripple effects um clear across everybody um but we're sending all our thoughts and prayers to those guys that are directly impacted on that um, right now and hope that we can, we can salvage some of it and that we're able to get a little better yield than what they're predicting right now. But listeners, we thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Uh, be sure to share our episodes with your friends and family. Uh, rate us on all your social Rate us on all the social media platforms as well as the podcast platforms and help us get the podcast out to other people. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And feel free to email us as well. We want to hear from you directly. And that is talk to us at millennialag.com. Until next week, we are Millennial Ag.